Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. Awesome. Well, can we give it up for all of our wonderful kids team, volunteers, appreciate you guys so much. God bless you. Well, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome to those watching and worshiping online as well. We're glad to have you with us. My name is Derek, and I'm the lead pastor here at Celebration, and because we don't have a third service currently, uh, this one will be a little bit longer. We had to end the first one a little bit quicker because you guys were coming in, but I'm going to share a few extra announcements here this morning, and uh, we're going to celebrate. We're, we're going to end by baptizing. There was 41 people signed up for water baptism. I think there was 10 in the first service, so 31 will be in this one, so like... When it feels like we're done, we're not even remotely done. Uh, so just save some of your shouts, save some of your clap for that. It's going to be awesome. But uh, we want to say welcome to everybody, especially uh, today is day one official bump up. We got some brand new rising students. Come on, let's give it up for some of our sixth graders. Is that what grade you're in now? Yeah, you looked at me like I was weird. I, one of them is my daughter, uh, one of our daughter with my wife and I. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, she was looking at me weird, so I didn't know. Now I'm in trouble today when we get home. The good news is we're only going to have nine hours in the car together today, so that'll be awesome. Right after service, we're leaving uh, to drive to Ohio, so pray for us. We've got uh, every other year, Assemblies of God leadership gets together for what's called general council, and we vote on measures and leadership and that kind of stuff, so uh, we'll be driving there right after church, so we'll get to talk about when the fact that I shouldn't have talked about her in front of everybody today. That's awesome. Uh, but uh, then be in prayer tomorrow at three o'clock. I'll be presenting in front of every uh, district leader in our fellowship, 400 or so will be gathered and uh, just talking about what we've been working on this year. So thanks so much for your prayers. And then uh, throughout the week for our services and meetings and just wisdom in elections and what God is saying to us. So thanks so much for that. Also, I saw over here in the young student section, uh, well, I saw them a minute ago. Yeah, they slid back there. Uh, some of our dear pastor friends, John and Shannon Velser, are here. Would you guys stand up? Let's welcome the Velsers. They pastor on the north side of the cities. Some of our dear friends. God bless you guys. If you've ever been to the Equip Conference, John is the MC of that event. And if you haven't been, he's still the MC of the event. So it doesn't like change if you went or not. But uh, we love you guys. Great to have you here. Even on some time off from their uh, work, they're here in church. And so I always love it when my friends love being in church. And uh, so they're here, they're proving it because they're not getting paid to be here. And they're still here. Amen. So uh, it'll be your home away from home. This will be your South Metro Church. When you don't like the North Side, you're welcome down here anytime. Well, uh, last week I shared uh, the global vision of the Assemblies of God World Fellowship for MM33. And if you missed last week, I just want to encourage you to go back and watch that. Uh, we're excited about what God is going to help us to do. We believe he's going to allow us to be part of what he's doing through our World Fellowship over the next 10 years, uh, planting churches and sending out missionaries. And uh, so be part of that. Go ahead 
and watch that. We'll give you some more update. But we're grateful for the global vision that he's given us and that we get to be part of. But we know even in the middle of a global vision, we also know there's, there's local things happening all around. So we never want to be so focused on around the world that we miss what's happening right here in our own backyard. And uh, this last week, maybe some of you know them, uh, Henry and Susie Shoemaker normally sit right over here. Um, they've been battling Parkinson's in Henry's body for the last four plus years or so that they've been here. And uh, Susie's his primary caregiver, and she had a couple of... Um, vertebrae, disc, something exploded uh, last week, and they were not able to be with us, and took her a couple days in the hospital. She had surgery on Wednesday, still in the hospital right now. She's going to need about six weeks, going to have to go to a rehab center and all that. So be in prayer for them. Um, if you're on the Celebration uh, Facebook bulletin board, there's a lot of words in that, um, we try to give some updates. There's a meal train where you can sign up to deliver some food to them in the Rosemount area every couple days. And also an opportunity you can sign up to maybe sit with Henry a little bit because currently if he were to fall by himself, that wouldn't be good. So his sister flew in from Michigan. But anyway, just a lot you could do as we learn a little bit more, hopefully get her transferred, be in prayer. She's been having a lot of uh, nerve pain going down through her leg. The surgery went well, but we're praying for that. We're also praying that they'll find a facility close to uh, where Henry is. They've been apart for the last eight days, and it's the longest they've been apart in the last 13 years. And uh, she's only been away from him for one night since his Parkinson's diagnosis. So be in prayer for them. If you're able to help in those ways, please do so. Uh, there'll be opportunity to help with some of the costs and things that are changing with them. Uh, but just be in prayer for them, and thanks so much. Uh, I told Henry yesterday as I sat with him, uh, Susie's pain was still so bad that I wasn't able to see her in the hospital. But I told Henry, God's taking care of Susie and we'll help take care of him. And that's what the church family is all about. Amen. So thanks so much for that and appreciate that. If you need some other help, how to get to that Facebook page, we'll figure it out. Somebody smarter than me can point us to that. So uh, today we're excited to have a guest with us. Let me just give you a glimpse over the next month, what's going to be going on next week. Pastor Josh and a few youth students are going to be sharing as uh, I'll still be at General Council. But one of the things we're talking about in this holy heat wave is what's going on in our society. And maybe if you only read the news, you just hear bad stuff happening with students and next gen. And I want you to know I've never seen a generation of students be so on fire for evangelism and seeing their friends one for Jesus Christ in my whole life. And so they're going to be sharing next week. Your faith is going to be encouraged and built up. On Wednesday night, over 120 students came, and I slipped out of prayer gathering to go see that. And when Kim, Pastor Josh's wife, gave the altar call, 15 students said yes to Jesus Christ on Wednesday night alone. So God's doing great things, and um, you'll be excited for that. The following week, uh, I'll be back. Won't be gone after that. And uh, I feel like I want to talk to everybody, but specifically about men. First Corinthians gives a verse that says, stand firm in the faith, act like men. And so I'm going to talk a whole day about that. Uh, what a man acts like, what a man does not act like. And so uh, if you're a woman, you're welcome to be here as well. And I'd encourage you to bring three men with you as well. Hopefully you're only dating one of them, but praise the Lord. <laughs> if you're dating three, bring them all too. Praise the Lord. That's, that's going to be good. And uh, then the following week, we're excited. A new uh, partner of our church, uh, really a legend here in the area, Dr. Carolyn Tennant, uh, will be sharing. She told me, uh, this is not the introduction for her time, uh, she operates heavily in the prophetic and teaches the Assemblies of God 
doctoral degrees on revival, and so I'm just excited to have her share. She told me that when she was hired at North Central a few, a little bit ago, Dr. Tennant, that she was the very first female vice president at an Assemblies of God University in the country, and so we're just honored, and we're looking forward, Dr. Tennant, to your ministry uh, in a month. But today, but today, we have a dear friend of mine, someone whom I've walked with over the last 16 years. I remember after my wife and I moved to North Carolina, my dad said, we need to have a staff evangelist, someone focused on seeing people one to Jesus Christ in the highways and the byways and that they would compel people to come in. And, and he called our former youth pastor. I, I didn't know him at the time, but Joe Phillips, our guest today, had been the youth pastor at our church in North Carolina. Then he had gone on to be a, a pastor to other youth pastors. Then he was a senior pastor, but the Lord was moving in his heart and in his life or his family as he was in my dad's life. And he called him and said, would you come be planted back in the house? Would you be the staff evangelist and go? We just want your family to be taken care of. And he would preach the first Sunday of every year, just setting our, our church on that course. And uh, he just so happened to come to Wisconsin yesterday for a family reunion, a family that he's never met. He, he didn't ever meet his dad. He'll share a little bit about that. But he hired a private investigator after doing a DNA test, and he met a second cousin who said, you know what, there's a family reunion if you'd like to come. So he was at that yesterday, and I said, if you're in town, would you come and minister to us as well? I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that um, it seems as though there are very few among us that are fulfilling the call and office of the evangelist. Joe is one of those, though. Uh, that is used, God is using him in different ways, writing books and novels, dramatic presentations. He, he does comedy events and goes a movie that he just filmed because we understand it might not be as common anymore to invite someone to a tent crusade, and yet people still need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So it's a joy to have him here today. When I had my stroke on February 22nd of 2015, if you're new, you're like, you had a stroke? I'll tell you more about it later sometime, but it's not the point of today, he had happened, he got canceled. The church that he was supposed to be ministering in canceled him at the last minute. So him and his wife came and they sat in the second row. And when I had the stroke in the service, Joe was on the second row. His wife, Cecilia, is a nurse. And she was quite literally the very first responder that ministered to me. Her and, well, let's be honest, the security team, they pulled me to the back room. And uh, they began working on me there. And, and my dad looked at Joe and he said, Joe, I've got to go to the hospital. I'm going to be a dad. You happen to be here in the providence of God. Would you close the service? Would you receive the offering for our guest that day? And Joe did that. And he made his way to the hospital, and we've been friends before. We've been partners since. It's a joy to have a brother, evangelist Joe Phillips. Would you welcome him here today? Good morning, church. What a great joy to be here. I am uh, so delighted when Derek's dad asked me to be the staff evangelist. He gave me the best job description I've ever had. It was two words. Here's your job. Stay gone. And we've tried to live up to that 16 years, 22 states last year, 16 this year so far. And I want you to know that uh, I am completely blown away by what I've seen here and what I've experienced here, what I've felt here. Uh, it's just incredible. It's been fun to watch from afar the church grow and Pastor Derek's ministry grow and his family grow. It's just amazing. It's truly amazing. I've been to 220 churches in 16 years and I, I know of which I speak. What's happening here is a wonderful thing, and we, you praise God for that, right? 
As Pastor alluded to, my uh, life was changed 16 years ago when his dad called me and uh, put me on a platform to fulfill a lifelong dream. I didn't know how I could pull it off with four kids until Rick Ross called me. And in 16 years, nearly 10,000 people have given their hearts to Jesus, which is really, I'm so grateful. And eight, eight or nine this morning in the first service. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God loves to take the foolish things of the world and confound the wise. I was born in Indiana to a very severely mentally ill woman with two mental illnesses and a borderline on a third. She put me in the attic. She told me she would put me up there when I cried and tell me the monsters would get me, and she'd put me under the water. Gave me away when I was three. My biological father was never on the scene. So yesterday, as I stood at the grave of a man I never met who never... Uh, I've had two phone conversations with him, and he dropped dead. It was really a surreal experience. I don't even know how to process it. And the, and the, the cousins that I'd never met brought pictures of my dad that I've never seen. And uh, it's just kind of amazing. Well, 41 years ago next week, I was so lost and broken. I lived with lots of families. I lived with the Grindles and the Griggs and the McCatherines. I lived with the Woods and the Ammons as a, as a young man. Went to four high schools in four states in four years. But 41 years ago, next week, I walked out of darkness. God became my father. And I've been walking in the light ever since. This morning in my prayer time, he told me, Joe, you have two assignments today. And I like it when people make things simple, and especially when God does. Stay gone. That's simple. I get it. He said, you're my ambassador, and this is what I want to do. I want to save lost people, and I want to heal sick people. So that's what we're going to do. If you're away from God a million miles or 300 feet, like Peter was in a boat, away from the man on the shore, knew there was a man, didn't know it was Jesus, wherever you're at. This will be a good day for you to submit your heart to Jesus. He's crazy about you. He wants to give you life. My uh, brother-in-law, five years ago on August the 18th, it'll be five years, he was on a 10-mile run. He was a two-time national football college champion, no body fat, ran 10 miles a day. He dropped dead of a heart attack uh, on a run. And uh, I preached his funeral. You should live in such a way your preacher doesn't have to lie at the funeral. You know, I didn't have to lie. I said, my brother-in-law, it was 2,000 people in the, in the church. I said, my brother-in-law is in heaven. Not because he was a great coach, a great administrator, or a great athlete. He's in heaven because at one time in his life, he opened his heart and received the Lord Jesus Christ. The doctor said... Before his face hit the Georgia clay, he was dead. So if the doctor's right and the Bible's right, before my brother-in-law's face hit the Georgia clay, his feet were standing on streets that were paved with gold. Hallelujah. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so if you don't have that assurance, in about 30 minutes, you're going to have an opportunity. And then when pastor transitions or dismisses the service, I want to hang around and pray for sick people. I see people healed, and I don't understand it. I know that whosoever will can be saved. I know all the saved people can be filled with the Holy Spirit. When it comes to healing, I'm in sales. He's in management. I don't understand it all, but I pray for it all. We'll show you some faith-building pictures at the end of this message just briefly. Gentlemen, get out your phones. I know your wife told you to put it up not check the scores, but I'm giving you permission. The preacher's giving you permission. A couple things I want to share with you as an evangelist. If you'll put up that 
uh, aren't you somebody? I have a trailer, but for sake of time, I'm not going to play the trailer. This is a film I made, and I'm in the film. Somebody said, why are you in the movie? Because Robert De Niro was pretty expensive. I was the only guy I could afford. I made nothing. And that's, a, that's the QR code. You can scan that and have it. It's a 59-minute film. The Inspiration Network has it on their platform, but I'd love to give that to you free of charge. And uh, it is about trafficking, so parents use discretion. And then... Uh, one of the things, as Pastor mentioned, we do comedy and all of that because it's bait. Art is bait. Art is transcendent. 517 years ago, a man painted the Mona Lisa. In 2019, 10 million people stood at the Louvre and, and looked at it. Art lasts a long time, and that's why we do film. I do Ebenezer Scrooge 107 times in 41 uh, cities in 11 states. 1,326 people have given their hearts to Jesus as Ebenezer Scrooge prays with them. But this is the most important thing I think I've ever done. It's the newest book I've written for. This is a novel. This is fiction. It's about a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to enjoy it any more than you have to be a lawyer to enjoy a John Grisham novel. This is a book that people have told me that they can't put down. In fact, I know she's probably streaming this service today, but there's a woman named Susan Ross, and she did not give me permission to do this endorsement, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is what Susan Ross, the mother of your pastor, said about the book Irrevocable. She said, and by, by the way, it's based on Romans 11:29, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That's why I put the hat out there too, just as a conversation piece. Susan uh, Ross said, and we're going to turn to Acts 16 in a moment. I'm going to preach. She said, I did not set the book down till page 125. I read the completion of his redemption story on the way to Derek's house. It's captivating. I love, love, love it. The language is brilliant, Joe. And I'm not bragging or complaining. I'm just telling you what she said. All right, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, I want to preach a message called Turn Around. And what a great day to preach a message about Turn Around. There's going to be a bunch of people whose lives the Lord is turning around that's going to get in this, in this tank. That's glorious. It was electric the first service. It'll be no less electric this service. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people. I am so blessed and overwhelmed that you would take a broken, given away, illegitimate kid like me and put me in a room like this with these amazing people. Thank you for your love. Gracias, Señor, por su amor. Gracias por el Espíritu Santo y la sangre de Cristo, la palabra de Dios. Gracias por la gente aquí en este momento, Señor. We need your help, Lord. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. That's what you said. So God, give us prophecy, healing, miracles, signs and wonders, faith, whatever the gift is. We're asking for all of it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. It was in Michigan that uh, I was walking out of a, a camp setting. I'd preached. It was 11 o'clock at night. I was drenched, no air conditioning in that tabernacle at the time, the district camp in Michigan. Two girls approached me from my, side, from the, my peripheral. We'd had an incredible altar service. This girl came up and said, my friend wouldn't go, but she wants prayer. Would you pray for her? I was at the back of the tabernacle. I said, sure, I will. I laid my hands on that girl, and as was happening in the 1990s, there was a revival called Brownsville. People were falling in the power of God, and I remember praying for that girl, and she fell down. I didn't know anything about her, 
But I knew intuitively, instinctively, inherently, even though I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, that this girl was a big deal to God, of course, but it was a big deal to the kingdom of darkness. So whatever deep thing she was involved in, that it was a big, big deal. And I'll tell you, the next year of my life was the hardest year I ever had, including COVID. I don't know if it was cause and effect, but if it was, and if I know my heart, if I had it to do over again, I'd still pray for that girl. What I just shared with you is the story we're about to read, but this story is on steroids. Acts chapter 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are servants of the most high God who proclaim the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Next slide, please. Thank you, Joe. Well, we're going to stand here. Oh, that is the next one. When you get to be 100 years old, things kind of come under the radar. But Paul, greatly annoyed, <laughs> that is the next one. Paul, Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out at that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men are being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. They had a British accent, I think. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. When they had laid many stripes, many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Turn around. My mentor says that architecture is language. I believe that. When the millions of people this calendar year drive past Celebration Church in Lakeville, Minnesota, they see this edifice, it communicates to them. And then when, if they ever walk in here, the excellence and quality, that's language. I also believe that posture is language. If you don't believe that, sir, if you come home from work and your wife's in the driveway with her hands on her hips or going... She's trying to communicate something non-verbally to you. You have done something, and you'll start doing a Rolodex in your mind. What did I forget? I was preaching a revival in Soperton, Georgia. Soperton's between nowhere and no place on Interstate 16. And a little dumpy kid came in, a little fifth-grade kind of squatty little kid with his bell-bottoms on. I said, hey, boy, it was a Tuesday night. What you been doing? He said, I've been at football practice. So I got down in three-point stands. I didn't say anything to him. When I did, he did the same thing because that posture spoke to him. Then I had to have his dad help me get off the floor. The Bible's full of posture. The Bible talks about standing up. Jesus stood in the midst, stood at the right hand of the Father. Paul stood up and uh, 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 reprimanded Simon Peter to his face. Peter stood up and said to the brethren, our daddies couldn't keep the law. Why are we making the Gentiles do it? There's a time to stand up. There's, there's a time to kneel. Uh, Paul knelt at the beach and wept. Jesus stooped down or knelt down, wrote in the dirt with his finger, and saved a woman's life. There is a time to kneel. And there is a, a time to sit. Mary sat at his feet. One thing is needful, Martha, and Mary has chosen the best part. She sat down. He sat at the right hand of the Father. But this message is not about standing, kneeling, or sitting. This is a message about turning. Paul turned. To turn means to rotate your body from the center on an axis. To rotate your body from the center on an axis. 
Why did he turn around? Because there was a little slave girl who was being trafficked. I'm sensitive about that subject. She was being trafficked by occult handlers. She was possessed by a spirit of divination. You translate that, she was possessed by a spirit of pythonus. There was a python spirit around this woman's life. And she would follow Paul and Silas for many days. And she had this spirit that would allow people's fortunes to be told. We don't believe the devil can read our mind, but he has a vast network and he can predict human behavior because he's been around for a long time and his network's been around for a long time and they would come to this little possessed girl and say, should I marry Reuben or should I marry Jonah? And she'd say, well, the devil's telling me in my ear that Jonah doesn't have a job. Marry Reuben. And then they'd go to the cash register. Cha-ching, cha-ching. She was making those guys rich, possessed, and followed saying, these men are servants. Would that get on your nerves? <laughs> these men are servants of the Most High God telling you the way to be saved. It sounds like a demonic letter of reference, but it was not. Just like the devil does, we're not unaware of his schemes. It was causing confusion everywhere they went. These men are servants of El Selion. And the Jews, that resonated with them in a different way. That's what the Gentiles call God. But the hedonists and the polytheists, they would say, oh, you're servants of the Most High God. We have a lot of Most High Gods. We've got Lydia and Isis and Zeus and Baal. Who's your Most High God? And instead of enhancing the mission, just like the enemy does, it confused the mission, and he had to untangle those wires every stop for many days. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he had a short fuse. He didn't put up with stuff. I think he told the Corinthian church, you want me to come down there? You want, you want, you want me to you feel froggy? Jump. Let's roll. <laughs> he broke up with a guy in the ministry whose name literally means son of encouragement, Barnabas. Broke up. So I don't want John Mark. Get out. He preached so long that a kid fell out of the third floor window dead. And he, then he just went down and raised him from the dead and went up and didn't learn a lesson. He preached till the sun came up. He does not care. Many days. The Bible says he became troubled. One version says greatly troubled. One version says annoyed. One version says greatly annoyed. One version says exasperated, fed up, and worn out. I think the Amplified says worn out. He was getting worn out. And so in the fullness of that getting worn out, he rotated his body from the center on an axis in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out of her. And the head of the python was cut off in that very moment. That's when the fun started. That's when, that's when it got real. I have to ask you before we go any further. Is there anything that's behind you that is exasperating you, wearing you out, troubling you, or annoying you? Is there something behind you that it just might be time to turn around and deal with? Well, as you ponder that question, let me give you some things to think about if you need to turn around. Number one, turnarounds happen when somebody's had enough of something. Turnarounds happen when somebody gets sick of something. Uh, in the book that I wrote, The Third Chair, I have a quote. I wish it was original. It is not original with me. No major change will ever be made until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change. No major change will ever be made until the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change. Uh, if you don't believe that, walk your dog with a shoe and your, and your, uh, with a rock in your shoe. 
You'll do that until you can't take it anymore. You'll just have a seizure in the middle of the road trying to get your, your shoe off. Called my buddy in North Carolina and said, hey, preacher, what you doing? I'm putting a rearview mirror on my car right now. I said, what happened to the old one? One of the kids did a pull-up on it. When did they do that? Uh, first week of January, I called him on October the 8th. He put up with it February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, but something about April, October the 8th. He couldn't put up with it any longer. Sometimes that's the way it is with us. If we can't put up, if you can put up with it, you're not going to turn around. But if you can't put up with it anymore, it's time to turn around. It reminds me of a guy named Ehud. I love the name Ehud. I got two beautiful daughters. I wish they'd bring a boy home and say, Daddy, this is my boyfriend, Ehud. Look at his eyes, blue as the ocean. Ehud was a left-handed man, the Bible says, in the book of Judges chapter 3. He put a double-edged sword on the right thigh. And each year he'd have to go to the king, who was a very fat man, on a throne, King Eglon, and with great pomp and circumstances so that the oppressed and the oppressor would understand who was in charge. Oh, King Eglon, you are the fat king. Here's all our kids' lunch money. See you next year, every year. Had to pay him off. But one year at the idols near Gilgal, this... He stopped and he said, this is what's killing us. This is what's 18 years of bondage because of these stupid idols. He tells his entourage, y'all go ahead. I got a little something, something I got to do. I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll see you in a little bit. He rotated his body from the center on an axis and said, oh, King Eglon, I've got a secret message from God for you. And he was sitting in the cool chamber, which every commentator I read say that was the toilet. And he says to his attendants, get out of here. What's the message? And Ehud, with his left hand, grabbed a double-edged sword with his right, with it, on his right thigh and plunged. The Bible's rated R in places for violence. This is one of them. Plunged the knife into the fat king until the fat went around the handle. In my head, he said, I got another one at the house. You can have this one. And then he bolted the door shut. And the attendants came to the point of embarrassment, the Bible says. But he's running free. And he runs right back past those idols. The Bible doesn't say that he did it. But in my head, he went, na, 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 hey, hey. And the Bible does say that a baby born on the day that Ehud killed Eglon did not know war but only peace for 80 years because one guy had the courage to turn around and face the thing that was wearing him out. I took a group of kids from Concord years ago to Chisinau, uh, Moldova, and uh, we stopped in Bucharest, Romania, and I, uh, we had a little stop there, and I said, I want you to walk through this cemetery very reverently, and I want you to come back and tell me what you noticed. Some of them didn't notice it, but most of them did. It's Pastor Joe. Everybody in this cemetery is a teenager or someone in their early 20s. I said, that's right because there was a brutal dictator named Ceausescu. He was so brutal that he would uh, eat chicken cordon bleu and lobster bisque and lived in the literal biggest house in the world while his people stood in line for eight hours to get a heel of a piece of bread or a chicken neck until all those kids that were Catholic kids rose up, turned around, and said the pain of remaining the same is greater than the pain of the change, and they overthrew that regime. There's a time when you and I, when the pain is too much, we need to absolutely turn around and face the thing that's wearing us out. But if you do that, I want you to know number two, that could create ramifications and ripples. 
Now let's just talk about the ramifications. In the name of Jesus, what happens first? Greed. These men, seeing that their hope of making money was gone, followed the money. Greed is as ancient as humanity. But then racism. Racism is not an invention of the 1960s. These men being Jews. They look like Jews. They smell like Jews. Racism raises its ugly head. Then they seize Paul and Silas and beat them. I don't mean slap them. They beat them severely. The Jews had a limit on how many lashes you could give. The Romans had no such limit. They beat them and beat them and beat them. And then they put them in stocks. Stocks were torture devices for maximum discomfort. And they threw them in a toilet cistern prison dungeon and slammed the door. Does that encourage you to make a change? Probably not. That's not going to happen to you. But if you turn around and face the thing, there may be a little bit of pushback. I made a film about trafficking. And on, on January 2nd, 2021, my wife nearly died of a heart attack. They had put her in an ambulance. I didn't know if I'd see her alive or dead when I turned my car around in Asheville, North Carolina, and drove home. I'm like, okay. We made a film about trafficking. My wife almost died. I got blood clots. My daughter had long hauler COVID. I see what's going on. There's pushback. But when we get pushed from darkness, we don't lay down and suck our thumb. We say, in the name of Jesus, and we push back. We push back. I think I skipped the second point. The second point is very important. Turnarounds only happen in the authority of Jesus Christ. Paul Paul and Jesus did many of the same miracles. Jesus healed people over and over and over. Paul had handkerchiefs leave his body. Acts chapter 19, they were healed. Jesus raised the dead. Paul went down and raised that kid from the dead and went back up and preached till the sun came up. Jesus cast out demons. Paul cast out demons. But there is one fundamental difference. Jesus didn't have to cast out demons in the name of anybody because he's Jesus. But you and I, we not Jesus. We have to turn around in the authority of Jesus' name. I have a mentor friend, Dr. Mark Rutland. He was in Africa. Only he calls it Africa. And he was with a bunch of African pastors casting a demon out of a lady. And in in the middle of that process, the woman opened her eyes and she slapped Mark Rutland in the face. I said, Dr. Mark, what did you do? He said, I slapped her back. (laughs) And one by one, the African pastors got up like, I'm out, dog. I'm out on that. All right. I'm out. Nothing shuts down an exorcism like felony assault. (laughs) The point of the story is the thing that wears us out We can't fight with carnal weapons. The weapons that we fight with, they are not carnal, but the mighty weapons of God to pull down strongholds. And Jesus' name is a mighty weapon. The authority of Jesus. He puts it in our hands. He puts it in our hands. He gives us authority, not to lord it over people, but to face down the joylessness in our home, the visionlessness, the lovelessness, the despair, the lack of motivation. He gives us the authority. And if we'll use it, we can turn around and change the world. The Bible says these men are are the men that turn the world upside down. You turn around enough times, you turn the world upside down. There are ramifications, but the good news is, and there's always good news, 
Turnarounds can produce a harvest. Turnarounds can produce a harvest. Let's talk about the harvest. He's in one of the darkest places on earth. That smell and the, and the innocent prisoners crying because they're, they're innocent and the demonized all through the night. Can't get any rest. Can't get any sleep. His back is beaten severely every time he leans against that nasty wall. Uh, it, it opens up the wounds. It hurts. What does he do? What, what does Paul do? You read the rest of the chapter. This is what he does. In that darkness... Hallelujah, hallelujah. Can you imagine the atmosphere in that prison changing? He inhabits the praise of his people. It's the darkest place in the world, and all of a sudden there's a gospel witness that happens. These men, instead of cursing the men who had beaten them, they start blessing the God who loves them. What's the other harvest? I believe, and I don't know if it's true, and if it's not, pastor can straighten it out. I like to be an evangelist because I can blow in, blow up, blow out, and let him pick up the pieces when I'm gone. I, the Bible doesn't say it, but in my mind, when the apostle Paul turned his body, the Lord started turning the plates and starting the process of a mighty earthquake. Because when they began to worship, the earthquakes and the chains fall off. And prisoners who had over years bondage and these chains in their wrists cutting into their skin. Now they're free finally because one man had the courage to turn. And the, and the, and the jailer comes in. The jailer comes in and he's going to kill himself because the prisoners he thought were escaping. And the, 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 uh, the smart people that write about this Say, well, he was going to kill himself because uh, uh, it's uh, understood that if you let a prisoner escape, then you'll be summarily executed by the government. I'd try to talk myself out of that, wouldn't you? At least try. Come on, don't kill me. This was an earthquake. At least, no, but he comes in to kill himself. In my thought process, it's because he has a predisposition to suicidal ideations. I mean, he beat people for a living. How was your day, honey? Beat 21. I got 22 on the schedule tomorrow. What's for dinner? I mean, that's how he lived. And this was just his opportunity. It's all too much. And the apostle, with great discernment, he says in the Phillips translation, you read the rest of the chapter, hang on, homeboy, we all up in the crib. Don't need to kill yourself. That's the Joe Phillips translation, and it's an awkward translation. He said, we're all here. Don't, don't kill yourself. We're all here. He falls down at the apostles' feet. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? In that great verse, verse 16, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in your house. The jailer brings him into the house. The same one who administered the beating. He's washing their wounds. And as he's washing their wounds, God is washing the sin from his life. And all of his kids get saved. Interview one of them when you get to heaven. Oh, here he is. Come here. Let's have the camera. Hey, uh, listen, uh, we've been looking for you for 112,000 years. I'm glad we ran into you. Can you just tell us, are you, tell us about the day that Paul turned around. Just, can you kind of elaborate on that? How do you feel about They'll take the microphone out of your hand and hit you in the head with it. You know why? Because they'll say, what do you mean what do I think about it? If that man didn't have the guts to turn around that day, we wouldn't even be here today. That's a harvest.
to me the greatest harvest is a little possessed girl free at the name of Jesus. Free. All that bondage gone. And they come to her not knowing and they say, should I marry Reuben or should I marry Jonah? And she said, marry a tree. I don't care. I don't hear those voices anymore. I am free. Hallelujah. When I get to heaven, I want to ask Paul, why did it take many days for you to turn around? In my head, he'd say, well, I, I thought it was good press. All press is good press. It wasn't so. I thought it was just white noise, like ringing in your ear. You just get used to it. Maybe you say, I, I saw those guys peeking around the corner, and I kind of had a feeling it'd be a problem. Maybe you would say, I, I didn't know if I had the power, because it was a strong one. I doubt if you'd say that. But that's not even the right question. The right question is, why do I and why do you let something harass us, intimidate us, annoy us, and trouble us when he has put in our hands the authority to turn around and face it. That's the best question. So uh, Jesus says to Simon, 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 Satan has tried to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And after you turn, you'll strengthen the brethren. And that's what he did. I'm going to put some pictures up and I'm going to tell a story of Edison would come with a, with a team and just begin to play something. Joe in the booth, if you'll put up the, yeah, perfect, on a spot. These are some photos of meetings that I was in. The guy in the top left was a youth pastor that was deaf in his ear, and he's testifying that he could hear. The girl top middle had something wrong with her arm, I can't remember. But Isaiah in the big picture, Isaiah was flying from New York to Florida, and his eardrum burst, and he's testifying that Jesus turned that situation around, and he could heal here that night. Next photograph. This is in Arkansas. So many people bottom left were getting healed. I just told the guy with the mic, just count to three. We've been here an hour. Listen to it. Just have them point to wherever they were healed. The girl top left came to the meetings Monday night as an atheist. Tuesday, she quit being an atheist, started being a believer. Nobody got to her on Wednesday and said, God, who saves you, he, can do, he, he can't do everything. Nobody, nobody messed with her. So on Thursday, she had a skin condition like that in the top right. Show the next picture. It's not exactly, that's a picture of the condition. I can't pronounce it, but it's like fish scales out of water, bleeding and cracking and lotion and so embarrassed that she, uh, she can't go out in public. Uh, Next photograph, this is a photograph of, that's my foot, that black thing is my foot under her leg as we watched that thing leave her body that night. Hallelujah. God can turn it around. Jesus turned around a lot in the Bible. He turned around and faith, looked at a woman who touched his garment. He turned around and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Jesus can turn things around. He's waiting on you to turn. He's can turn it around. Last photograph here is a, a young man in Alabama, legally blind, coat bottle, thick glasses. He wanted to see. Jesus Christ healed him that night. He, he caught me on Facebook three years ago. His name is Matthew Reed. I told the story in Hartsville, Alabama, and an old man walked up, handed me a piece of paper, said his name is Matthew Reed. I was the pastor when he came home from camp. The guy got in touch with me and said, I've always wanted to be in the military. I couldn't do it legally blind. That night, Jesus turned it around, and I can see, and now I'm a soldier in the United States Army. So we're going to pray for sick people.
Well, if you're healed of cancer, that has a shelf life, which is your life. There's an end to that. But if you get born again, there's no shelf life. People in this tank, eternity's forever. As they begin to play something, I want to tell you quickly one, one last thing about a, a, a kid in my youth group in North Carolina that I did not particularly care for. In fact, I assigned people to watch him because I did not trust him. He had a beeper when 1990. Who has beepers? Lawyers, drug dealers. He was making deals. He's making deals. Played basketball, had a swagger I did not care for. This one of those guys rubbed me the wrong way. I left that church, and after I left, it was just a few weeks after, so I don't have anything to do with this story. He, he had an arrangement, I think, with his parents. that they, He had to go to church once a week, or he couldn't stay and eat their food. So he runs into the church on a Sunday night to get his mama's attention. And a minister, a woman, walked up, started speaking words of knowledge over him reading his mail, telling him things he knew she didn't know. I was there when you got shot. I was there. I was there. And that kid that night turned around. I mean, he made a U-turn. That kid that night said, this is real. This is real. This is better than dope. This is better than anything. This is real. And he got born again that night. And you met him earlier. His name is John Belser. Now he pastors in North Minneapolis, Minnesota. Turned around. His life has turned around. Would you bow your heads? Lord, it's so good to see John's reminder of the miracle of his salvation. It also re reminds us that nothing is impossible with you. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. I just, uh, I'm going to count to three as a point of reference, not as an evangelistic gimmick, but as a point of reference for clear communication. If you are away from God 300 feet or 3,000 miles, to be away is to be away is to be away. When I say the number three, I want you to slip your hand up. Why do you want me to do that, Joe? Jesus sees our faith. I'm not Jesus. I want to see your posture change with your hand going up so that I can see your faith. Leave it up for a beat or two, and then I'll tell you to put it down. I'm going to pray with you right where you sit. So here we go. One, Joe, I didn't need you to tell me that I've thought wrong thoughts and said wrong words and done wrong things and not done the right thing. I knew that waking up. I knew that walking in. I don't need you to tell me I'm away from the Lord. I feel it every day. Two, I don't want to be that way anymore, though. Tonight, I want to put my head on the pillow and know that I know that I know to be absent from the body. I can be present with the Lord. Well, my friends, that's what the Bible says. These things are written that you might, K-N-O-W, know that you have eternal life. Are you ready for me to say this third number? I promise you he's ready. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He's not a cruel cop standing on the curb waiting for you to jaywalk and smack you in the head. He is the father who's on the porch waiting for you to come home and slop so he can run and kill the fatted calf and put the robe and the ring on you. That's the God we serve. Are you ready? If you're away from him, but you don't want to be away from him anymore. You want to know that if anything terrible happened to you before your face hit the floor, your feet hit streets of gold. Do you want that? 
When I say this number, if you're away from God, slip your hand up. Keep it up so that I can just see it for a minute. And then we'll all pray together. Ready? Three. Yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. So many. So many. Oh, my word. Must be 30 people. Thank God. You, I want everyone to stand. Every person in the church that can. Would you stand? For you 30 people that raised your hand, I'm going to pray for you. Then we're going to pray a stuttering prayer together. I'm going to stammer on purpose. I want you to fill in the blank. Make it your prayer. There'll be a three-word public prayer that we'll all pray in the middle of that prayer. And then I'm going to pray for you at the end. It sounds like a long thing, but it's not going to be a long thing. We don't have to come fancy to the Lord. We come like little kids. That's how we come to the Lord. So let's go. So, Father, I pray for these people, these 30 people or so that raise their hand, that they'll understand what they need to understand, that they'll repent, turn around, go the other direction, that they'll believe and trust only in Jesus Christ for their eternal life as they pray a simple, simple prayer. 30 of you that raise your hand, this is how we pray. You can do it out loud. You can do it just to yourself, but fill in the blank. Something like this. Dear God, here I am. Dear God, dear God, dear God, this is me. I'm sorry for my bad thoughts. Forgive me. Wrong words that grieved you, I'm sorry. Forgive me. What I've done wrong and should have done that didn't do, God, I apologize. I confess my sin. Tell him that. I confess my sin. Please forgive me, but I confess something else. Here's our public prayer. To count of three from the front row to the back, would you say, Jesus is Lord, right out loud? Do you mind? One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Let's do it again. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. So now back to our prayer, the 30 of you. With my mouth, I just confess Jesus is Lord. And in my heart, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And I don't understand all this. But I want all of this. Come into my life and fill me up. I receive and accept Jesus as my Savior. And now, God, this great church, we pray for those that prayed that prayer. Celebration in Lakeville, Minnesota prays for these people that the roots are going to go down deep and find living water, that the fruit is going to go up high, that nothing will steal what you planted in their heart, no cares of the earth, no, no, no thing would steal what you've done, and that they would uh, walk on streets of gold, every one of them, a million years from today, celebrating the goodness of God in Jesus' name. Can we give God praise today? Hallelujah. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.